If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Hey everyone, I am very excited to introduce my guest today. Her name is Christine Rogers. Christine is the president and COO of a startup that's based here in my hometown of Phoenix called Aspireship. Now, I know many of you have heard of Aspireship before, but if you haven't gone to look into it, I highly recommend you do so. I'm super excited about what they're building. They're essentially creating a platform to help talent find roles in SaaS sales. This is a concept that I wish would have been around when I started my career over a decade ago. Christine herself is incredibly interesting. She has had a very successful career, not only as a seller, but as a SaaS sales leader in several different companies. She actually started out as a small business owner and she parlayed that experience into her first role in SaaS sales. She has a lot of great wisdom for anyone out there who's managing their career, who's looking for their next role, who's looking to break into the industry, or who wants to be the top performer on their team. So without further ado, welcome Christine. Jesse, I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Just for some background for the listeners, uh, I've actually had quite a few members of my audience reach out and ask me what I think about Aspireship. So I thought the best way to dig into what Aspireship does and, and learn more about the, the value was to have uh, you know uh, one of the leadership team members from Aspireship come on the show. So I wanted Christine to come on and share her story uh, of how she got started in tech sales. And then uh, perhaps we can share some insights into you know, how SDRs today are, are landing great opportunities and how they're quickly ramping up and growing their careers. Love it, love it. I'm here for that. That's a great conversation. <laughs> Good deal. So I always wanna hear, you know, starting out, how did you, how'd you get into this business? Tell us how you got started, um, what your first role was, uh, give us some context into who you are. Sure. So, you know, I've kind of always been in sales. Um, so not that that was my um, journey, thinking right out of college, I kind of was planning on going to law school, believe it or not, and then just really got soured to all of that, but got a, a degree in, you know, law and justice, and then ended up working in insurance. And so started doing insurance sales um, mm -hmm. and, and really learning a lot about business and small business because it was um, through farmer's insurance. So it was each individually owned agency. So it was very interesting to get there and then, you know, became a uh, I kind of got bitten by the bug a bit, you know, uh, sales plus also kind of entrepreneurial. So um, after a few years there, moved 
and actually started my own business. So I bought into a business actually, then we kind of rebranded and did some things at here locally. And we're in the same area here yeah. um, outside of Phoenix. <laughs> so uh, for a, it was a retail store for um, baby furniture actually. And my business partner and I were the main two individuals that were selling. Yeah, we had some staff, but that was mostly our role was mm -hmm. to, you know, run the business and also doing lots of selling and um, did that really successfully for a couple of years. And then we hit um, that first kind of like recession in the 2000s. Oh, yeah, a little time there. So we ended up having to close, close the doors of our store. Devastating um, kind of you know, for us, cause I thought, you know, that was going to be it for me. And because of my small business experience, um, started at a company in a sales role called Infusionsoft, and mm -hmm. now it's called Keep. And if you're here in the Valley, you definitely know of that software company, it's marketing automation, but because I had had that small business, um, experience, um, and had, you know, sold quite a few things, it was easy to make kind of the argument that I would be a good fit there because I was able to say like, I, I owned a business. I absolutely understand what small businesses need. And mm -hmm. they were, I mean, I walked in to basically say hi to a friend and then the manager came over and was talking to me. And I, I actually said to him, like, are, are you interviewing me? And he said, yeah, I am. And I had no <laughs> idea. So, um, so I actually moved up quite a bit, you know, through the ranks there in a very nonlinear path, ended up running the sales organization for a couple of years and then moved on to a, a couple of different companies um, that were in inside sales and, and software companies and ran those um, organizations as, as well, some of those sales organizations. So that has uh, led me to Aspireship. Uh, where sure. we created this, it's, we're about actually next week, it is two years, our two year anniversary since we created this baby, baby startup, um, really predicated on the notion that we believe that having a strong character and competency really trumps experience and, you know, 10 years of running inside sales organizations has really given me good insight as to, um, you know, what makes a good hire, what, um, you know, what are we looking for as far as competencies go and attributes go. And so much of it doesn't have to do with experience. It has to do with, you know, capability to learn and resiliency mm -hmm. and, you know, a pace that matches, you know, what you're selling. And so all of those things really do point to success in this role more than, you know, I've had X experience or I have had, you know, two years of selling experience. And, you know, so we really created this business to help people either transition into selling um, and specifically into SaaS selling or to, um, to really pivot. Maybe they've done other types of sales and, and want to come into a software selling environment. So that has really been what we've been spending the last two years doing is wow. um, working with companies that are hiring and also amazing graduates that are looking for a new role. Awesome. I want to back up a little bit just to your experience at Infusionsoft, because I see yep. that in your time there, you really accelerated through a handful of different sales and sales leadership roles. Yep. Tell us a little bit, and I'm, I'm familiar with the company. Uh, they're, they're called Keep now, if I remember right. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're basically a small business CRM. Is that fair? 
Yeah. CRM and marketing automation. Uh -huh. CRM and marketing automation. For anyone out there who's not familiar with Infusionsoft or Keep, um, very cool company, very cool technology. And uh, I, I think I told you offline, I know the founders from, from my high school growing up. So very interesting yeah. concept. Um, cool. But uh, tell us about sort of how you, how you fast paced your career in that role. I mean, I, I'm imagining and correct me if I'm wrong, that being a business owner sort of gives you some resilience and some tenacity that you might not have had otherwise. And perhaps that positioned you to, to assume some leadership responsibilities and really fast track your career there. Um, but was there anything else that you did at Infusionsoft that you think set you apart from other sellers and other leaders there that maybe helped get you to that? It looks like you ultimately ended up being the, the vice senior vice president of sales there. Anything you can share with us on, on that progression? Yes, I was a yeah, I was actually the senior director of, of the direct team. So we had two different, um, you know, at, at the time I left for about a hundred million dollar company. My team was bringing in about sixty percent of that revenue. So wow. um, from yeah, so it was it was a great experience. I would say here's here are a couple of things that maybe a little less talked about in, mm -hmm. in about fast tracking. So. I will say this when I first started. So because I had business experience, I did have a lot of confidence about certain things, right? Because I understood our customer in a very different way because, um, you know, keep what they do is they work only with small businesses. So I did understand the struggle of that, but because I had what I would consider failed, I didn't really want to use that in my, wow. um, I didn't want to use it. I was embarrassed by it. And I really do remember um, this moment I had after a couple of months, I probably was there and I was selling. So I was in an individual contributor role selling. It was probably my second month in um, another one of the sales reps had actually bought his furniture from me at my store. And uh, I didn't know that at the time, you know, so he, when I said, oh, I had a baby store, you know, as I got to know him, he's like, I think I bought my crib there. And then yeah, it was true. He did. Um, nice. And uh, had purchased it from my business partner. So I never had a chance to really interact with him that way. And I remember coming in really early one morning and he, um, I was frustrated, you know, it was probably, it was near mm -hmm. like the second half of the month. I was not where I wanted to be, um, you know, from a quota standpoint. And I had just got, I just had hung up the phone with a, with a call and he came over and he said, like, I heard you on that call and yeah. you actually had something to say there. And I could tell you almost, you almost reached out and related differently with that prospect, but you didn't. Oh, and he said, man. Christine, Christine, tell them your story. Tell them that like, if you had had this in your business, you know, what would it have done for you? And I, I remember sitting there and I was so ashamed. I'm like, I cannot tell them that because ultimately I failed and we had to close mm -hmm. our business. And he said, no, you didn't. He goes, that's what people need to hear that they will have a better chance of succeeding if they use technology to help them. And it was like, all of a sudden I stopped. I realized that like, I needed to use my life, my experience to relate to mm -hmm. my customer. And I will tell you that I believe that that has been one of my kind of like silver bullets and something I always tell people is like, relate to them in an authentic way that's you and know your prospect, understand your customer well, and 
And don't be afraid to share parts of who you are and where that could be relatable and what you've learned, you know, as a part of the sales process, not as a tactic or ploy, but mm -hmm. as a way to, um, as a way to really build some trust between you. And when I finally let that guy remember, like I cried a little bit that day, <laughs> it was one of those moments <laughs> where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And um, then I like, you know, pick myself up the next day and went back in and thought, yeah, I'm not going to be ashamed of what I've learned through this. And it totally changed uh, everything for me from that point forward. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, that's super powerful. And I, I have a similar story, which is crazy. Uh, and I think you're, you're definitely onto something that having that authenticity can do a couple different things for a seller. One, you know, you, you gravitated towards Infusionsoft because they were a small business product having been a small business owner, you understood the, the, but the buyer persona in a way yeah. that, you know, maybe someone else couldn't or, or wouldn't have that opportunity. Right. And so similarly, I, you know, started seeing a lot of success in my role when I started working with contact center and call center leaders. Uh, and that's what I do today is I work with operations and contact center and call center leaders. Before I got into tech sales, I spent uh, three and a half years working in a call center. Uh, and for the longest time, I didn't share that. Sadly, I missed a bunch of opportunities because if I would have opened up with the, the people that I was working with and shared that, you know, hey, look, I may sound like a, a tech sales guy and it seems like I've done this my whole career, but I actually spent the first chunk of my career working in a call center. I was an agent. I know all about customer service and customer experience and I know how to log tickets and I know what it's like to have an escalated customer situation. And so I missed a bunch of opportunities to really be authentic to my prospects. And when I started sharing that story and now it's pretty much a policy of mine that I share it on almost every discovery call, even if it's just a, you know, a short, hey, by the way, uh, I understand the world that you live in because I used to live in it also. Uh, and, you know, I, I think for the longest time, I didn't want to share it because I want, I didn't want to detract from the fact that I'm the salesperson in the process and I need to, to have, you know, command and control of the, the conversation. And I realize now that that was sort of short-sighted and what's, what I've seen and observed working with, you know, my, my contacts now and sharing that, that experience and really showing them that I'm authentically someone who is passionate about what I'm selling and that I understand the world that they live in and then the day-to-day the -day that they have. And, and I'm also, you know, looking out for their frontline agents because I used to be one. It's yeah. been a super, super transformative experience for me and helped me unlock a lot of opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had had I not, you know, brought that up and shared that. So I love that you shared that story. Thank you. And I also think so I also know a lot of people that have leveraged their past experience, their hobbies, their interests, their other jobs that they've had before they got into tech sales into selling a software that's in that space. One example, um, a colleague of mine a few years ago, she was in hospitality. She worked for a hotel as a hotel manager and then transitioned into SaaS selling. And she went and found a software product that sold to, you know, believe it or not, hotels and airlines and the travel and yeah. hospitality category. So she mm -hmm. was able to parlay that experience of, hey, I used to manage a hotel. I think it was a Hilton. Uh, she was manager at a Hilton location. And she took that experience and said, how can I use this to break into SaaS now and landed at a company that said, hey, that's really cool that she knows the, you know, the hotel manager persona so well because she was that. And so I, I think you nailed that on a couple of levels. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of power in what you shared there. So thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. So um, anything else that, that you care to share from your time at, at Infusionsoft that helped set you apart, that fast-tracked your sales success and, and career? 
Um, I think the only other piece that I think, you know, might not be um, talked about much that might be interesting is, you know, when you look at like what's next for me somewhere, you know, so I love that company. I thought I would be there forever and really left, um, left after quite a few years, I was there almost five years and was, you know, we left on great terms. I left, uh, with so much knowledge and experience and gratitude, um, and took on a, my first VP of sales role at a different company that we were actually partnered with at the time. So it was mm -hmm. a very um, friendly relationship there. Um, I would say that many times I saw opportunity and I was offered opportunity for different jobs, for different roles. And oftentimes I said no to them because I didn't feel like I had, you know, what I needed in competency. Right. So what I really did think about was, you know, where are the gaps that I see in myself and um, my lack of confidence in these areas? And then I really started digging into like, you know, okay, what do I need to do to be more competent here? Because I know if I know the answers to those things, or I feel competent around that, then I can confidently represent myself and our team and the company very, very well. So really considering, you know, what am I nervous about? Um, you know, every time my boss would say, Christine, I think I, I really want you to take over the direct floor. I'd say, nope, I don't want to do that. No, oh, wow. I don't feel ready to do that. And, um, and then watching as multiple people cycled through that role, I knew that what I brought to the table was very different and that I probably could do it well, but I felt uh, a lack of confidence around certain things. So what I definitely had to do is sit down, be honest with myself and say, all right, you know, where are the places that I need to go do more work and learn? And where are the places where I can say, I never want to be um, a master at revenue modeling. I just need mm -hmm. an analyst, you know, so yeah, could I get, yeah. so, you know, how could I either hire for or surround myself with people that are going to, you know, be the experts in this. I just have to know enough to be able to read, understand, communicate up and down and be able to make decisions, but I don't have to be an FPNA expert. I don't have to be, you know, I yeah, don't have to be right. those things. So I think I got really clear about what, what, you know, extra education I needed to do, what other things I needed to learn and who I needed to surround myself um, with in order to be able to bring a more comprehensive view to the role. That's, that's awesome. And really great insight. And you're, yeah, I really appreciate this because you're, you're looking at it at angles that I don't think a lot of people are considering, um, which is, is very refreshing. Yeah. Good. I hope Let me helpful. ask. <laughs> yeah. Very, very helpful. So here's one for you. I, okay. you referenced this earlier. We're both here in the, the Phoenix area. Uh, we're actually outside. I, I think, I think you are, you're outside of the Phoenix area in the yeah. suburbs. So a lot of my listeners reach out and say, Hey, I live in, you know, the suburbs of Detroit, or I'm in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, or, you know, Orlando or something like that. Maybe not a major tech hub, but I want to get into SaaS sales. And I, I shared my story when we first met that I left Arizona for a while. I'm from here originally and left to Austin to, to kick off my SaaS career. Because uh, at that time, I felt like there wasn't enough SaaS opportunity in Phoenix. I'm really excited to see the, the you know, growth of the tech community here in the Phoenix area. 
But, you know, a decade ago when I was starting out my career, I figured I should go to one of the sort of high tech towns. And I, I looked at San Francisco and Seattle and Boston and was fortunate to find an opportunity in Austin. But I see from your profile, you've built this really fantastic tech sales career here in, you know, the, the suburbs of the Phoenix area, which, again, until fairly recently, and thanks to Aspireship and companies like that that are setting up shop here, it's still a pretty new tech community compared to, say, San Francisco or Seattle. So what advice would you give somebody out there listening that's in, you know, the suburbs of a non-high tech sort of city, um, how to build a career in, in tech sales outside of the Silicon Valley or Austin or Seattle or Boston? Well, I think really the focus on remote working or hybrid model, uh, you know, in and out of the office type of working environments has really leveled the playing field when it comes to location and geography specific hiring. Agreed. So I, um, you know, imagine that even those San Francisco companies that are hiring, those that are now open to remote can hire somebody in Missouri and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, be able to offer those positions. And those are, you know, with the lower cost of living in Missouri, those positions are very sought after and exciting for candidates there. So, um, you know, it's great to be able, I, I will say this, we have candidates that are going through our program and grads that have gone through our program and been placed all over the country. Um, so a lot of companies that we do work with, probably over 50% of them at this point are now looking at remote opportunity as a very viable option. And I will also say that there are now a lot more options. Like I have a company right now who is building their office in um, St. Louis and Scottsdale. So, you know, oh, wow. Scottsdale here in Arizona, their other major office is St. Louis. Um, so I'm hearing Richmond more frequently. Of course, Atlanta has really started to pop. So we're hearing um, a lot of differences in market and also, you know, where they're saying, you know, regionally, I want them to be in this area. So they, you know, if they jump on a plane, they can get to us in two hours or so, you know, so mm -hmm. if they're, you know, it's in Atlanta, we want them to be somewhere in the Southeast, not too far away. So they could be remote, but if we want to do our quarterly meetings, not a big expense or time suck for them to get here. And I'm loving that. I think um, yeah. giving people the option. Now, I will also say this. I'm a little old school in that myself. I love being in an office with people. And <laughs> right. um, so I would also caution people from saying, you know, I will only take a remote opportunity. I have had, um, you know, Jesse, I have here in, in Phoenix, probably five companies hiring. And mm -hmm. I have grads coming out of Phoenix that are like, nah, I don't want to go into an office. And there is such a missed opportunity also from being able to go into the office. And, yeah. you know, where, you, where they're literally turning down amazing opportunities because the companies are saying, hey, we'd love three days here in the office. Um, and, you know, for collaboration and um, for team cohesion and fun, and also, you know, to kind of you learn a lot when you're around other people and you're, you know, we call it ear hustling, you're listening and yeah. you're, you're learning from them as well. So I think it's, um, it would be a mistake to say, you know, if a company is not remote, then they're, you know, they're just going to die. That's not right mm. either. And I also I would, I would caution candidates to say, okay, there's a lot you will miss out on from not being in an office. And there, there are some things that are really beneficial to being able to have some remote work as well. So I think 
um, it's not black and white in this area and it being open is a really important piece to this. Oh, wow. I, like there's, I could go so many directions with this. This is so important to talk about because I I've again, just in conversations with listeners and other people in my network that are looking for opportunities. I've heard that a lot. Hey, I'm, I'm holding out, you know, I, I want to move to, I don't know, Idaho or something just off the sort of tech beaten path, if you will, and just feel, you know, remote opportunities. And I'm all for it. I love the fact that there's this, you know, remote workforce now where opportunities that were previously only available in, you know, the Silicon Valley or something like that are now available all over the country. I, I love that. But I also really do agree with what you're saying about don't be rigid on that. I think if you get an opportunity to relocate to, you know, a big tech epicenter and look, it doesn't have to be the Silicon Valley. It's really expensive to live in the Bay Area. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a, a secondary tech city like an Austin or a Phoenix or even Indianapolis, right? It has a whole tech community there. Um, but I have benefited greatly from going into an office also. I love working remotely. I love the flexibility of it. I love being able to evaluate opportunities from all over the country and live you know, close to my parents here in the, the suburbs of Phoenix. That said, some of the most valuable career experiences for me were joining a B-series startup in Austin and literally sitting next to the CEO for you know two and a half years and list, listening to him raise two rounds of funding, uh, listening to him pitch, you know, Sam's club on a seven figure deal right there in the office, right there in a startup, everybody's shoulder to shoulder, picking up the phone, making calls on the other side of the room, there was people writing code and improving our product. And unfortunately it's much harder to get that experience if the, the company's fully remote. So I, I absolutely agree with your point that any company that's you know, anyone who says that if you don't go fully remote, you're dead is missing that huge opportunity to bring everybody together in a, you know, a couple thousand square feet of space and build a product, launch it, listen to other people's calls, listen to the, the leadership as they, you know, navigate challenges and things like that. So those are, are invaluable experiences for me being in person with my executive sales leadership and senior leadership on the product side and the business side. I wouldn't trade that for any amount of, you know, remote work at all. So I totally agree with that. So I think your advice is very, very sound. Don't be too rigid on it. If, if you need to get your foot in the door and take a remote job initially to, to get your foot in the, in the tech sales world, Absolutely. That's a great path. But if, and when you get an opportunity to go work in an office somewhere, and I think we're going to get back there pretty soon, uh, you know, take, take advantage of those opportunities too, because meeting and sitting next to people in person and having, you know, having folks overhear your calls and give you feedback. It sounds like that happened to you at least once at Infusionsoft. Uh, those are things that you take with you for your whole career. And those audibles are really the things that can, can make you great. So totally agree. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I think it's, um, I just, I, as you were saying that, I was, you know, yeah. think back to so many memories, you know, really, of you know, when we're looking at, you know, we've got just a few hours left, you know, before the end of the month, we're, we're pacing, we're almost there, we've got a few more calls to make, and everybody's rallying, and there's, you know, 
just fun going on and people together. And there's something that is very magical about that. That is a beautiful thing to do as a team and be eye to eye. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would see, you know, reps that were already at quota, like, let me give her a try. Let me mm -hmm. give that prospect a call that you can't get on the phone. I'll close it for you, or I'll talk to her and see if we can't, you know, negotiate a little bit differently, but people really, um, coming together as a team, it feels pretty amazing. And I've had, yeah. Some of my most kind of, I think, I think, I think anybody that's been on a team that's been yeah. a high performing team um, has experienced those highs together where you're just all looking at each other like we just hit a new number we've never hit before. And it became you know, now that was, that's the new like high watermark and here we go. And mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty powerful. Uh, it's pretty powerful. <laughs> and it's something I, I really want to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. You know, I just think it's amazing. I absolutely miss into quarter in an office. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not quite the same, you no. know, even I've had some managers since the pandemic, you know, open up a zoom and say, jump in and out throughout the day. And we can all hang out for a little bit and strategize. It's, it's better than nothing, but it's still not quite the same as everybody's in the office, locked down. Uh, you know, everyone knows what they need to do. People helping other people, you know, the reps that are already at number are walking the floor and trying to help people that aren't there yet get there. So I do miss that. And of course, miss all of the, the happy hours and parties that follow. Yeah, well, just that, I mean, we used to bring food in. And I mean, I remember one time we did a contest for like the last week of the month. I brought in a craps table and we were doing, you know, contests where if you put a deal in, you, you know, get to throw the dice and whatever it was, we would multiply by, you know, five bucks per. I mean, it was just so much fun. And so those yeah. types of things are just. Um, there is something to be said for that. And not to say, like I said, that you can't create those types of things remotely and you're, everybody, I mean, there's all kinds of technology now to do these types of things and, and that it's amazing. But I just have heard, um, we have shifted a bit and I hear it a bit in market where it's literally like, you know, um, if you don't have, if you're not allowing everybody to be remote, then you're a terrible company. And I just want to say, yeah. I don't think that's the case either. Like there is a little bit of both here. And, and I think on both sides, flexibility is really key. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about uh, Aspireship. I referenced it earlier. I've had listeners reach out and ask uh, about the program. I'm sure. thrilled that a startup is like Aspireship is being built right here in my hometown. And I've it's funny, I, over the years, I've thought probably dozens of times, hey, it'd be so cool if someone built a boot camp and a training course and a whole program for someone to, to learn the things that I had to go to the school of hard knocks for, which was, <laughs> you know, go and just land in a job and do transactional selling. It sounds like our paths were very similar and, you know, make 150 phone calls a day and miss numbers and, and go back to the drawing board and figure it out. Those are all also important experiences, but I have always scratched my head over the last 10 years and said, how come there's not some formal education around tech selling? There's plenty of frameworks. There's plenty of great thought leaders in the space. And, and you guys are partnered with some of them like Skip Miller. Um, so how come no one has put together, you know, a really good and straightforward and, and I, I don't want to call it accredited because I don't know what accreditation looks like, but like bona fide is the word I'll use a bona fide SaaS training or tech training, sales training program. And it sounds like you guys are building that. So I want to hear all about it. And I want the listeners to hear how great the program is. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
so, you know, over the last 10 years, hiring and training um, new salespeople, it is, it has been a challenge. I mean, it is the number one challenge of every sales leader I talked to. It's like, how do I find the next person, you know, the next talented salesperson who's going to be loyal, who's going to be amazing, who's going to be, you know, easy to manage, but maybe doesn't have, you know, doesn't look as great on paper as the other. That's okay. You know, how do I find those up and comers or mm -hmm. the people that are, are transitioning from other roles? Maybe they're um, not, I mean, I think everybody thought that we would have people that were straight out of college or straight out of high school. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of really capable individuals that have been in other working environments that want to come in and start selling as well. So when we sat down to think about, you know, what we would want them, these individuals to know and what we want to test them on, we started thinking, you know, I really looked back and said, like, what would I, you know, how did I craft our first bit of training? You know, when I had a new hire, what were we looking at? What did they need to understand? And it was both kind of the, the tactical sales foundation foundational principles, but also, you know, understanding the business of SaaS and understanding software and technology and how mm -hmm. we make money and why retention is important. And so, you know, really we kind of broke that down and added, you know, what, what is uh, an ICP? What does ICP mean? What's an, you know, like what is demand yeah. gen? You know, how do you become a top performer? How do you engage with senior leadership? So we included a more, what I would say, comprehensive and probably, if I'm going to be very honest, more realistic. What do you actually need to know? Yeah. What are the things yeah. that you need to know? And also it was a little tricky because I knew that we'd have to build this to work with many types of SaaS companies. And also, um, you know, so that's why we picked proactive selling by Skip Miller because it is a consultative selling um, and it works for both, you know, very, very small transactional SMB all the way up to, you know, Skip has worked in Zoom and Tableau and very, very high, you know, enterprise level selling and it still works. You know, we're still asking great questions. You still understand you know, the buyer's journey, you understand the difference between buy a buyer and a seller. And what are those things that, and how does that work? And so we really looked at it like that. And I do not believe it needs to be so lengthy that it, yeah. you, uh, that you lose essentially, you know, the, tr the traction and the momentum that you have. So it's about 20 to 30 mm -hmm. hours of work. And um, then there is an assessment where you have to pass it. You have to do role plays. It's very uncomfortable. So you have to do those things because mm -hmm. selling can be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, yep. And it's also free. And we do that because um, if you can complete the course within 30 days, so I do, we do put a time limit on there because in selling, you have a time limit and you have yeah. to hit deadlines and you have to be mindful about those deadlines. Mm -hmm. And um, so we did that intentionally. And so the price you pay is the time you're paying. And it, yeah. it is a true meritocracy. If you can do the work, we will help you and do it well. And we will help you. And a lot of people along the the way uh, self-select out. And when we go back and ask them like, Hey, why, why didn't you finish? Or what happened there? It's, Oh, you know, I realized that's not for me. And you know what? I think that's a win. Like mm -hmm. that's okay too. If it's not for you, great. And if it is, you are going to be enthusiastic about it and have energy around it and be excited to, to do this work. So yeah. really that's how we were thinking about creating it. And then we had to start figuring out how to test for it. And then 
if we tested and put a line in the sand and said they have to get above this percentage, is that the right percentage? (laughs) And will those people be successful? And the only way that we, you know, can measure that is through retention. And, you know, Mm -hmm. at the 90 day mark, are they still there? Are they in good standing? Is everybody happy? Are they happy as a company happy? So that's, you know, that was really how we looked at it when we began. And funny enough, it's worked for now two years, really, really well, even through the pandemic. So um, people still need to find talented individuals who can prove that they can do the work and not just talk Mm -hmm. about doing it. Oh, it's so awesome. And and I'm, by the way, I love the the licensing or the, I shouldn't say the licensing model, but just the fact that it's it's free if you get it done in a certain time frame. I'm aware of some other boot camps out there. I won't drop any names, but that, you know, some have some pretty aggressive pricing structures yeah. that can, you know, scare someone like, like where I was when I started my career. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of capital to invest. I was just getting out of college. Uh, and I didn't have, you know, gobs of money to go spend on personal education. Fortunately, you know, over the years, I've been able to invest more in that. Um, but starting out, it would have been really challenging. So I love that you guys have developed a model that makes it easy uh, from that standpoint, at least from the cost standpoint, to, to go do it if you're motivated to do it and, and get it done quickly. And then it, you partner with great companies that have great opportunities yeah. out there. So tell me a little bit, and I haven't taken the course yet or the program yet. I plan to, um, <laughs> that way I can speak more credibly about it here on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. but tell me about what happens once I complete that, uh, the program as a student, do I then get paired with, you know, employers that I'm interested in working for, or how does that process work? Right. So we have lots of different partners. So we have upwards of, I think currently we have just over 80 partners Um, and all, you know, they're in different, uh, all SaaS companies are in different roles, different environments, different locations. Um, And when I say different roles, we hire from BDRs, SDRs, account management, and, you know, any kind of new customer acquisition, like account executive role. So we, we have created a foundational course that teaches more of a full cycle approach. And even our SDRs and BDRs that take the course do better for having taken that course and actually getting someone to a decision point as well. So, um, you know, we had those questions right up front, like, do we need to teach an SDR how to quote close or get to a decision? And yes, we do. They need to know and are better actually they're better at their job for knowing what comes next and being aware of how to tee up the right conversation and book the meeting. So, um, so in kind of thinking about those things, what we do is once they complete the course and pass the course, we interview them about what's important to them. So each candidate we will talk to and say, okay, you know, are you into a small company, a large company? How, you know, talk to me about your comp, uh, your compensation desires. Talk to me about what's important in a leadership, you know, so we give a very um, open-ended conversation because they don't know who we're hiring for at the time. So mm-hmm. we are very careful and mindful of uh, matching appropriately because not every candidate is for every company and not every company is for every candidate. And so right. what we do is we gather that data. We also know what our partners are looking for. Um, and then we uh, present companies to our candidates and say, let us know here might be like one or two. We try not to send them a ton of them at one time because that can be very overwhelming. And actually um, we've really seen in market that to be so very, very distracting. So yeah. here are the top few that we think based on what you told us would work. They allow us, you know, we give them a day or so to 
do some research. Yes, I want to be presented to that company and I will enthusiastically you know, enter this hiring process um, and try to go win this job. And that's really what we're looking for in that partnership with that candidate to try to help them get into the best position possible. And then we present them to our partner. Wow. Um, so we're doing lots of selling because we're literally mm -hmm. selling, you know, candidates on some of our partners and we're selling our partners on our graduates. And, you know, we're consistently going back and forth around, okay, does this work? Do you feel good about her? How, you know, tell me how the first interview went. So we're getting lots of feedback, giving feedback to our graduates, you know, Hey, this is where you stumbled. This is where we need you to show up differently. Round two is with, you know, uh, Jesse, he has a lot to say about this. So make sure that you understand the company very well before you go into that. So we'll do what we can to help um to help give the best possible um you know prep and preparation for those interviews so that we can yeah. hopefully get us to the the resolution we're all looking for and the outcome that we're all looking for so i love that because when i started my tech selling career i just i took a lot of guesses right i didn't have any insight into did i want to go start at a big company i mean i kind of did but it wasn't as clear and there, there wasn't as much guidance or framework around it. Right. It was okay. Right. I could go work at a startup. I had this whole sort of just, you know, vision or, or passion around going and joining an early stage startup, because that's just in my mind, what I thought was the right fit for me. And it's turned out to be true. Uh, but I didn't ever have anyone sort of give me that coaching of, Hey, do you want to go start at a startup or would you want to go start at a bigger company? Are there certain types of solutions that you'd be interested in talking about with customers yeah. Uh, or, you know, are there other ones that might be a better fit? And so just that exercise alone is really interesting. What I also like is that you're, you're guiding students through a process and you're providing coaching in that recruiting process. So this is something that for me came years later in my SaaS career. I started working with recruiters, whether that was an internal recruiter or a third party, you know, recruiter that was working on a search. And I would use those recruiters to get feedback every step of the interview process uh, so I could understand, you know, how well I was doing in, in, in the interview, basically, and if I was going to land the opportunity. So again, it was a skill I didn't develop until later, but wish that I would have had resources for that earlier on. It would have made my life a little bit easier. So I love that you guys uh, participate in, at, to that level. It's not just a, hey, take our training and we'll introduce you to somebody and then we're going to walk away. It sounds like it's very yeah. hands-on and mm -hmm. very detailed and thorough and you get coaching. And, and I think one of the most important things you can learn early in this business is how to take feedback and make it actionable, right? And if, if you're working with someone at Aspireship to help you, you know, interview well and pass each round of the process, those same exact skills are going to apply to running deal cycles later on in your career. So I really love that you guys sort of create that environment where coaching can be developed and that, you know, that two-way accepting coaching and, and being able to, to apply it to, you know, this circumstance, which again, can translate to selling later. Well, and I'm going to also say something that I think is, is something to consider as well is a lot of times um, we hear company names and brands that everybody's like, Oh, I want to go work at that company. Mm. You know, that's a unicorn company and it's a shiny, yep. beautiful brand. And um, often we will present, you know, a company that is, you know, in a B round of funding, very stable. Gosh, I have a couple of companies, cash flow positive, have definitely, oh. I mean, really great company. <laughs> and right. it's, well, you know, that's not super sexy. And yeah, it's know, not a unicorn. To, yeah. We have to give a little tough love sometimes where we're saying, mm -hmm. Hey, here's the thing is 
this is a great company. This is these are great leaders. They really invest in their people. Their people are there for a long time, making good money, are very happy. And maybe it's not something with the shiniest, newest, you know, pink poppin' logo, but you know, what it is is a really great opportunity. Or sometimes we have a conversation with a candidate, like when they're saying, I'll only take a remote job. And it's Okay. And yeah. I just had happened a few months ago. We had, um, we had a gal here in town. She only wanted a remote opportunity. We had five different companies that are here that are very, very strong companies, really, really good. She would only take an opportunity, a remote opportunity. And so we, you know, we, we cautioned her around that because she was very, very new. And in our interactions with her, um, she was, uh, struggling to get mm -hmm. us back you know, things on time quickly. Um, you know, we were seeing some, some concerns. She ended up going to a company outside of our network. And so not one of our hiring partners mm -hmm. and, um, within three months she came back and said, I'm about to get fired. I never get, I, I, I never get to hear other people. I'm concerned about, you know, these different things. And these were the very, very same concerns we had talked to her about specifically prior around, oh, wow. it would probably be better for you to have a place where you a few times a week could go listen to others. Um, you know, and so we're seeing this, um, we're calling it kind of the boomerang effect where sometimes people go, oh, I'm just going to go with, you know, the company, the first company where somebody reaches out to me and not necessarily working with us because we don't force that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have great partners and I vet them carefully and regularly part ways with companies that are not giving our candidates the experience that we want for them. So I don't have a problem firing a client if they're not, mm -hmm. if they're not treating our candidates well. So we're very particular yeah. on who partner with. However, um, you know, we're seeing people come back and say, you know what, we should have, we should have, I should have talked to you all. And I should have gone with one of your partners. And, you know, I've been here six months. I'm really not happy. Can you help me now? And it's, uh, it's a really fascinating thing. Not anything I, I really thought would happen. Um, but it's happening more frequently now than, and I think a lot of times, and I can't blame people, you know, we were, people were looking for jobs and they took whatever they could get. I, I understand that. Right. Um, at the same time, it's a really important thing to, to have a company that you feel like you are a part of from a cultural perspective. And also that you're doing well in your role and are competent in the role and happy. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that the the unicorns tend to be the big draw. And a lot of these really great companies get overlooked, like you said, that are, you know, they're well funded overall and they're they're cash flow positive. They might have great leadership that's done some cool stuff in the past, but you know, you don't necessarily read about all of those in TechCrunch. And so they they get sort of shoved by the wayside. And I think, you know, I've spent most of my career in companies like that. I've, I've had a couple of stints at, at some unicorns, uh, but generally speaking, it's been, you know, those have been the funnest and most rewarding roles because when you come in and even if you're an SDR or, you know, an inside sales rep to start out, everything you do is going to leave a big impact on the business because your number really does count and it makes a, it can make a huge difference and you're going to feel that good and bad. And the, that's, yeah. that's what this is about is, is having those kind of experiences and tempering yourself into becoming a leader and, and someone that can deliver results. And that is what builds that resume so that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, you can walk into any sales role or sales leadership role and say, Hey, I was, I was there at XYZ startup when they were B series 
and my number made an impact. I literally brought this logo on board that helped them, you know, hit the number that helped them raise that next round of funding. So lesson out there, you know, lesson for, for listeners out there is don't overlook those, those not so sexy opportunities, just because you're not reading about them in TechCrunch right now, uh, doesn't mean you won't. And it's a great time to, you know, to jump on and really get that experience. And I don't think you have much to lose. I mean, maybe that's a, a privileged position that I'm in where I don't think of them as that big of a risk. Of course, you need to, you know, sort of evaluate your financial situation and your risk tolerance and things like that. But to your point, you know, a lot of these B-series companies, they, they're already planning the C round of funding. A lot of them are reach, about to reach cash flow positive uh, or they've, you know, they've got plenty of runway. And if they're hiring sales reps, it's typically because they're trying to scale up the product at that point. So I think it may feel riskier than it actually is. And a lot of people are turned off by that risk. They'd rather go work for the, you know, again, flashy company that's in TechCrunch, okay. but don't overlook those opportunities. I think that's really, really great advice. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, I have some that are scrappy, like they've never taken a dime. So I have some that companies that, are, yeah, cool. that have, have bootstrapped themselves and are now, you know, multi-million dollar companies that are doing extremely well. And they're very, I mean, they and been around for 25 plus years. And so you're, you're, you're looking at all different types and sizes of businesses. And I think that that's the important thing to be able to articulate to somebody like on my team, I, you know, that's important to me, or, you know, here are the things that are the most important to me. And I'm going to any, you know, any companies that you put in front of me, I'll take a look at and give them a really good shot rather than just looking at what the blog says or, you know, what, you know, something like that. So I I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you. Question for you. So let's say I'm someone who maybe I work in another industry right now, and I'm trying to transition into tech sales besides going and taking Aspire Ships program. What are some other resources out there that I can be looking into to make sure that I'm getting myself on the right track to get into the profession? I think it's really important to follow thought leaders that you want to emulate. Um, there are a lot of people in this space that talk a lot. And when I say talk a lot on like LinkedIn and different things like that. Um, and I think it's really important to be careful who you take advice from. You want to look at people that are practitioners, not just talkers. So um, mm. <laughs> And I think that sometimes what happens is the loudest voices are not necessarily the people that are capable still, maybe they've done, you know, selling in the past or, you know, wrote a book 15 years ago and are still doing the same things. Be careful of those things, you know, be careful of that. Be careful of, of the individuals that are very, very new um, to selling and are, um, you know, speaking as authority right. on certain things when they've been in sales a year. It's like, okay, you can get your experience from what you've seen. Yeah. That's a, actually a really helpful place to be is to say, I've been in for a year. Here's what I've learned. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I still, I follow lots of individuals mm -hmm. that are, because I'm learning from them every day with fresh eyes and I'm grateful. But I also know that if you're new, do not tell me and how to build a comp plan or what is a fair comp plan, which I literally heard the other day oh, on a wow. very, very, very well-known web or excuse me, podcast, somebody mm. who has never has been in an individual contributor role talking about comp plans. And if you, again, if wow. you want to talk about a comp plan from an individual contributor perspective, 
on what motivates you, what you've seen on different things, but not on how to build them fairly. If you want to understand that, you need to go to people like AJ Bruno over at Quota Path. You need to go mm -hmm. to people like Robert McClaws at Burn Rate who understand capacity planning, compensation, motivation, um, fairness, you know, all of those yeah. different pieces that are a part of the psychology of it and also the math that goes into it. And mm -hmm. I just feel like there are people that are talking a lot and don't like, we just be careful. Just be careful who you yeah. listen. Yeah. I agree. There, there's someone out there. I'm not going to name anybody your name and shame. I should. Right. But there's someone out there that I followed for a long time that I had to ultimately unfollow because I felt like this person, all they focused on, this is a LinkedIn, uh, you know, thought leader, if you will, in sales and look by all accounts, it was someone who's been very successful in their career and has done a lot of really great things. Right. So it, you know, it made sense to follow this person at the time, but I felt like this person's whole approach was shaming, uh, yeah. you know, shaming sellers for not doing enough of this. And, you know, you need to do that more. And it just got to be like way out of hand. And I was like, I, I this isn't positive anymore. Look, there's all things we could, you know, there's, there's plenty of things we could do better as sellers. There's always things you can work on regardless of how many years or decades you have of experience in sales. There's always some area where you can still hone in and improve your craft, but I don't yeah. know that it helps to have someone on LinkedIn, just spend, you know, multiple times a day posting about how, you know, sellers are lazy and they don't do enough of this and, and making these like broad generalizations where I was like, look, I think there are probably are people out there like that. And those people, you know, should look inward and try to figure out how they can improve their craft. But to make that, you know, part of your marketing strategy to sell your info products or whatever it is, it just, you, know, you have to be very careful. And I, I unfollowed this individual and I've done that a few times. So I think this is really good advice. There's a lot of voices out there. And, you know, I think go to the specialists, like you said, the, the specialists on the topics that you want to go and explore further. And then I'm also just a big fan of finding, you know, real, not that LinkedIn thought leaders aren't mentors, but, you know, find someone in your role or at your company or in your neighborhood or in your tech community or whatever it is that can be your actual mentor that you can go yeah. get coffee with or have a drink with or get on the phone with every so often. And that might be a former manager. It might be a current manager. Uh, you know, it might be someone that you met at a meetup. There's all kinds of ways you can find mentors. And I've, I've been very fortunate. I have a very large network of mentors that I've kept with me all these years. And from time to time, I'll just give them a call and say, hey, I'm working on this deal and it's not working out. What am I missing here? And, and can you give me some guidance on that? And that's probably one of the most powerful things you can do. Hmm, I love that. Yep. All right. One. So here's an interesting question for you. And I know we're, we're coming up here pretty close on time, but, and this is a big question for considering uh -oh. the time we have left. Okay. Uh, it's, it's women in sales month. Yeah. And I've had a lot of really fantastic female guests on the show this month. Um, I've personally worked with some amazing women sellers in my career. Some of my closest counterparts, mentors, former managers were, were women and they crushed it. Um, but I do think that it's worth, you know, since it is women in sales month, and, uh, you know, th there does still seem to be a shortage in the industry of, of, of women sellers. I would love your advice, especially with how successful you've been in your sales career. What are, are some thoughts you have for anyone out there who's a woman who's considering getting into tech sales for how to navigate their career? I know it's a big question. It is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to drop that no, on you okay. at the 11th hour. No, 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 no. You're good. Um, uh, so I would say this, first of all, I, I love that we're celebrating, um, 
you know, bringing in more women into this profession. Um, I'm also sensitive to, I don't want to be excluding anyone. I mean, we, there's right. room at the table, right? So I, I am, um, one that like, you know, my sales floors very frequently only had a handful of saleswomen and, and it was something that was very important to me as well. So I think a couple of things to consider is, is really doing the work as, um, anybody, you know, male, female, um, doing the work to know who you are and what you're bringing to the table. Don't try to be anybody else. As um, women, sometimes in male-dominated industries, where we feel like we have to be a little bit more um, masculine or show up differently, or um, you know, I, I've I've felt that way at points in my career, and I yeah. think what's great about just kind of highlighting our, our, our differences are okay. Um, your differences, you know, even from males to other males, that's okay. You know, celebrating different personalities and the different ways we solve problems and the ways that we are thinking about it because of our own individual lenses. Um, I would say whether you're, you know, it really gender agnostic or on this conversation is to be knowing who you are and bring more of that to the table, bring more of that to your sales conversations. Um, I remember my one of my first month, uh, you know, on the floor at Infusionsoft, um, I was, it was like five days till the end of the month and I hadn't gotten the deal. I hadn't gotten a deal yet. And um, I, I pulled up this old lead and I saw like, you know, probably 15 other people had had this lead at some point. And um, it was a, it was a, a customer who was in the UK and she was a marketing, um, she had like a marketing info product. And I, called her. And as soon as she answered the phone at the same time, her website pulled up and it was like this awesome, bright colored. And I just was like, Oh, I love your website. As soon as we started talking, I said, I am loving that. What is that little thing that moving thing? She was like, Oh, that's my, you know, we just started talking and I stopped yeah. pretending to be somebody I wasn't. I was like, and I just was myself. And just, I remember mm -hmm. saying like, I love that, that I, I love the color. Why'd you pick this color? And I got that deal. And I remember so awesome. all of a sudden thinking like, okay, I need to stop with being like, well, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And just be like, <laughs> you know, I just said like, hey, this is Christine from Infusionsoft, blah, 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 blah. We started talking. And then I said, I'm going to pull your website up. And then it was like, oh, I love your site. I love, you know, and I started talking yeah. to her about a couple of things. And it was just my natural, normal way of being. And that really did remind me, like, be yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, you don't really need to be something else, bring that your special sauce to the conversation and you, and you will do much better than if you're trying to pontificate or be someone you're not, or to do anything that is not authentically you. That is fabulous advice, regardless of whether you're, you know, a woman seller or a male seller that be yourself. And, and I, you know, have personally seen a big transformation and just you know, again, relaxing a little bit on calls and being my true self and bringing that to, to the, the, the sales calls I'm in. And I assure you that it does work. People buy from people they like people buy humans, buy from humans. And I think you're, you're dead on with that. How can uh, the listeners find Aspireship and how can they, they find you out there on the interwebs? 
<laughs> so you can find us at aspireship.com. Um, so, so we have lots of information on there. You can sign up there. You can ping my team there. We're all, we're all there. Um, and also I'm really active on LinkedIn. So that would probably mm -hmm. be the best place to find me. Just DM me or connect with me. Um, definitely let me know that you heard from this podcast so that I can give um, Jesse a hard time when I see him, but yeah, <laughs> I love Yay. it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, Christine, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I'm very excited about what you guys are building at Aspireship. Uh, can't wait to meet in person at some point. And please, everyone, everyone who's listening, check out what they're building. It's a really cool program that I wish would have existed when I started my career. So thanks again. All right. Thanks for having me.